We're on Perek 19, Yud Tess. All right. Now, <clears throat> we didn't plan this. Hashem planned it. Hashem plans everything. Everything is Hashkacha Pratis. But today's Hayyem Yem. You know what Hayyem Yem is? Hayyem Yem means from day to day, or today's the day. It's a safer that the Lubavitcher Rebbe compiled of little thoughts on every single day of the calendar year. So the Hayyemim for today, Chof Aleph Sivan. I'm just going to read it to you, and then later on, you're going to tell me, the Hashkacha Pratis, how you think it's connected to the Tanya that we happen to be learning today, which there's no way we planned this. I mean, we started at the beginning of the year, right after the High Holidays, right after Tishrei, we started from the title page. And... Today, we're starting Perik Yud Tess, chapter 19. So you tell me how this is connected. Hayem Yem Chof Aleph Sivan. Rabbeinu, our rabbi, that means the Alter Rebbe, Be'Sefer Shalbeinim Perik Gimel Eimer, in chapter 3 of Sefer Shalbeinim. Tell me if this is correct, those of you who have been here since the beginning of the class. Ki Gimel Meichen Chabad V'zayin Midas Heim Hishtalshlus Me'eses Firas Hel that the seichel and the midas, the cognitive and emotional faculties of the soul, derive from the ten spheres of Hashem. And all of this pertains to the levels called nefeshuch and neshama, which are invested in the body. Omnam, however, there's something higher than that. Inyan hamasidus nefesh alalakus, the fact that a Jew is capable of giving up his life for God. Vasayid, he says in Yiddish, Vasayid nitervil unitarkon zan chasfasholom and nifid melakus. A Jew, he cannot and will not, or he will not and he cannot allow himself to be separate from God. Zehu ma'atzma saints of Baruchu. That's not from the faculties as they are invested in the body, but rather that's from a higher source, that's from the essence of God. This is higher than the spheres which begin with the faculty of Chachma. That's today's Hayyem Yem Chafal of Sivan, which also happens to be the Hayyem Yem of my birthday. Because today happens to be my birthday. Yes, thank you. Abracha, you should continue to learn Siddhis in a way, and this is, this is something you may not know. I'm informing you of something and I'm blessing you. You should continue to learn Siddhis in a way that allows other people to learn Siddhis. Do you guys realize how much comments, how many comments I get from people about this class? Because it's online and people are like, wow, that's such a high level class, such high level interaction. So I'm letting you guys know that. Also, whatever it is that you need in your lives for you, for your families, materially and spiritually, it should be fulfilled for you in the fullest way, in the most obvious good way, in a sweet way, in a quick way, with no guessing and no wondering and no doubts. Amen. 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 Okay. So let's jump into pedigree test. Remember, context is everything. We said in chapters 16 and 17 
that if you want to become emotionally congruent with the behaviors of Teira observance, one way to gain that emotional alignment, one way to get yourself emotionally matched up with the behaviors you're already committed to, is to generate new emotions, to actually create emotions through the process of meditation. That was 16 and 17, right? Then in 18, we said, well, what about if I'm not able to do that? Or what if I'm doing it, but it's, I'm in the middle of the process and it's taking a while? Is there another method that I can use to create emotions? And when we say emotions, we mean obviously emotions for, for, for God. Love of God, awe of God. And he says, yes, there is in fact another method that you could use. And remember I told you last week, this method takes eight chapters to describe. Now we did one chapter. We did chapter 18 last week. Do you remember what chapter 18 said? Yeah, what did it say? Chapter 18, it's given to us, bequeathed, probably even more of an accurate term. There's a difference between a matona and a yerusha, a, a gift and a, and a bequest. This is a, an inheritance, yeah, we inherited from the Aves. What did we inherit from the Aves? Love. Love, very good. Love of? Hashem, obviously. And this love of Hashem is actually called avamisuteris, hidden love. Why is it called hidden? Because it's in there, but it's not always active. We would love to figure out how to activate it. In fact, that's what this whole discussion is about. And then remember that interesting phenomenon that the Altebbe mentions last week? The phenomenon that we observe throughout history of irreligious Jews who give up their lives for Hashem. And Daniel Pearl is a, you know, an obvious example for, for us in our time. Unfortunately, there are millions of examples. Um, but what was the point of that? Right. 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 And what, why, why is he telling me that? Because I want to tell you why he's not telling me that. Exactly. Right now, the point is not to remind me how great uh, Jews are, even though that's totally true and that's an important idea. And don't judge a Jew, even if they're irreligious. That's not the point here. What's the point here? Although that's a true statement, but what's the point here? It's not a logical phenomenon, right? Because they're uneducated, they're ignorant, and yet they gave up their lives for God. But again, what's the point of telling me that here? Why do I want to know this information right now? Everyone has access to it. This is, I need to know this for practical purposes. I'm trying to get some love and awe of God going here. I'm going to meditate, yeah, like it says to do in 16 and 17, but in the meantime, are there other ways to tap into love and awe of God? He says, well, in fact, there is. In fact, we see that every Jew, even the uneducated Jews, even the irreligious Jews, have access to that intense love and awe of God at certain times. Oh, great. What, when are those times? Uh, when they're about to be tortured and killed by uh, oppressive Goyim. Well, thanks. How, how's that going to help me? And that's what takes eight chapters. What takes eight chapters is he's identifying a phenomenon where any Jew and every Jew can suddenly become intensely emotionally driven to serve Hashem. And he's trying to teach us how to access that intensity in quote-unquote normal circumstances. 
Does everyone understand this point? Do you remember last week and I told you that there are eight chapters here and it's so easy to get distracted and to start smelling the flowers on the side of the road and forget that we're on a journey? So I just want everyone to remember the point here. Everyone understands the point? What's the point? What we're going to extract something that's already there and, what, magnify and magnify it. Great. And what is it that's already there? Love, love, love. love of Hashem. Okay. And, and we, we do know one way in which it's triggered is... Death? You know, threat of... <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. In like a do-or-die situation. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and we would like to know if there are other ways of accessing that. Yeah. Okay. Good? Okay. So Pedigutas Letesafas beer or Tsarchlavar Hativ Mashakosov Nerashem Nishmas Adam. We're gonna explain now what it means that the soul of man is the candle of Hashem, or the candle of Hashem is the soul of man. Shlema Melech says this in Mishlei, Proverbs. What does it mean that the neshama is compared to a candle, to a flame? Pirush, it means she Yisrael hakruyim adam nishmosim hi l'mashal ke'er The soul is like a flame. Yeah, I know, that's what it says. She misnaneya tamid l'mayla That the nature of a flame is to flicker upward. Mipnei sha'era eish chafetz betava Because that's what the flames light naturally wants to do. Lipotid mapsila, it wants to separate itself from the wick. It wants to go join the general fire, the elemental fire, which is under the orbit of the moon. Like it says in Eitzchayim, you don't need to understand any of that. All you need to know is that flame flickers because it's trying to go up. Everyone learned that when you're a little kid and you held the Havdalah candle, right? You can hold it like this, you can't hold it like this, right? So this is an explanation of why that happens. Because flame is, is trying to rejoin the elemental fire that's under, under the Galgal Yareach. It's not important to understand the mechanics of this. All that's important for the point here is to understand that is the nature of fire. It's not a conscious choice that fire makes. That is the nature of fire. And although that will bring about the flame losing its identity, because if it goes up, it won't shine down here. And if it goes up there and becomes subsumed in its source, it also loses its distinct identity up there. So either way, the flame is losing its identity. Nevertheless, that is what it naturally desires. And by desire, we mean that's its, it, that's its property. That is, its, that is a characteristic that is, well, you said the word essence. Yeah, it's an essential property of flame that although... It will lose its identity by doing so. Its 
programmed, so to speak, to want to leave and go up. Okay. So why are we learning this? So too, the person, the soul, which refers to the neshama, but also the ruach and the nefesh, all the soul levels that are in the body, the natural desire of the soul is what? To separate from and to leave the body and to cleave to its root and source, which is what? Hashem, the life of all lives. Even though by doing so, it will lose its identity, and there will not be be a trace left of its original identity. And nevertheless, that, that is its natural desire, and this nature is actually a convenient term that we use for anything that doesn't make sense. Anything that doesn't make sense, anything that is a phenomenon, we know that it happens, but we don't understand why, is referred to as teva. The word teva, nature, means, but mommy, why is the sky blue? Uh, because, because it is. Right? That's Tava. Or if you know a little bit more, you could say, well, because the angles of the light refracting through the atmosphere and then it bends the wavelength of the light and that registers on the rods and cones as blue. Why? Uh, because. <laughs> so it, no matter how smart you are, at a certain point you're going to say, mm, because, how, because, because, that's just because, because, that's the way that it is. So, what does a soul want? Specifically, an embodied soul. What does an embodied soul want? It wants to leave the body. It wants to become subsumed within the source of all life, even though to do so will mean losing its own separate selfhood. Why does it want that? Because that's its nature. Well, nature means something we know that happens, but it doesn't have a logical reason. It's Vadas. It's above logic. That's just the way that it is. So the point here that we're learning is the soul's most essential desire is to lose its separate selfhood and to become subsumed within the oneness. That's what it wants. Why does it want that? Because that's what it wants. And in fact, it's illogical that it should want that. Because why should any entity seek its own annihilation? Now you're trying to make it logical. We just said it's illogical. Why should any entity... It make, if you don't understand that this is illogical, you're not going to appreciate the point here. It is illogical that any entity's primary motive should be to annihilate itself. That's illogical. Any entity, at least its most basic MO, should be self-preservation. 
And what we're saying, and by the way, the animal soul is like that. <laughs> what do you think the animal soul is? And everything in the world. The funny thing about the godly soul, it doesn't seek self-preservation. It seeks the opposite of self-preservation. It wants to be subsumed within the oneness. Why does it want that? That's illogical. Yeah, it is illogical. That's just what it wants. Oh, so now you want to call that selfish. Okay, you're on a very high level. <laughs> well, you like selflessness, so for you, selflessness is selfishness. <laughs> it's like, what do the, 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 the masochists say to the sadist? Hurt me. What do the sadists say to the masochist? No. <laughs> you like it too much. Not gonna, that's the real sadism. I'm not going to do it to you. Okay, so you're saying that the, okay, whatever. Listen, don't get so fancy. Let's just keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. The nature of... Back up. The soul is compared to a flame. Why? Because it's hot? Because it burns? No. Because the nature of a flame is to go up. And the nature of the neshama is to go up. And even though when the flame goes up, it loses its identity... So too, it's a curious thing about the neshama. It would rather lose its own identity and go up and rejoin its source. So far, so good? Yeah. No, what, what's wrong? Maybe that's your animal soul. Maybe that's your animal soul. Maybe that desires your animal soul. And maybe that's the, the other drive. But the pure godly drive is to lose itself. Isn't it also to be united with other souls since we all souls that belong to Hashem ultimately? When you're united with other souls, you lose your selfhood. The whole point of true Achtas Yisroh is that there ceases to be division between one Jew and another. It's only an embodiment where we perceive division. So, if you really, really want to go to your source and become one with Hashem and one with all other Jews, there's no you anymore as a distinct you as you've known yourself. You cease to be a separate consciousness. But isn't that the goal? Yeah, that is. The, and it's not the goal because it makes sense. It's the goal because that is the nature of the neshama. Yeah. Okay, fine. Now, does it change it or does it just detach? Like, is there... Or does it change? Does what change what? I don't know what you're saying. When the neshama seeks to attach itself to, to, to oneness above, yeah. does that seeking, is that a change of its... Not a change, that's its essence. This is not a difficult concept. At the very least... At the very least, at the very least, take it as axiomatic so we can move on. Okay. Okay. So too, in our context, in our discussion, what we're saying is that the soul's MO 
is irrational. Doesn't have to be rational. Nature, teva, means something that is not governed by logic, and that's why it's just because. That's how it is. And if you want to get precise and technical, this drive that the soul has, this irrational drive, we can locate that drive in terms of soul faculties as the faculty of chachma, which we discussed last week. Remember we were discussing chachma last week? Koyachma. Very good. He's going to me- mention it again. Koyachma. Koyachma. The power of what? Of nothingness. The power of self-surrender. This is an underlying common principle about all holiness. Holiness is that which comes from the level, which is Chochma is absolutely surrendered to the infinite which is within it. And it does not constitute a separate entity. And that's why it's called the power of what, or the X factor, like we spoke about last week. In other words, Chochma is the faculty within the soul that drives it to be surrendered. To surrender its selfhood, to surrender its identity. And as we were saying last week, that's considered higher than intellect. Proper intellectual faculties don't seek self-annihilation. They seek to be engaged. So Bina, as distinct from Chachma, wants to understand the world. Chachma, as distinct from Bina, wants to leave the world. And that is the opposite of the nations of the world, or the, the klippa from which the nations of the world derive, which is another way, it's a very Kabbalistic way of saying human nature, which is to be self-perpetuating. Human nature is to survive. Self-perpetuation. The most basic instinct of the organism is to preserve itself. And this anomaly is that the neshama, its most basic instinct, is the opposite of preserving itself. It wants to lose itself. Let's just finish this section right here. That's why human nature is called, poetically, it's called death, even though it's, <laughs> it's seeking life, but it's really death. Why? Because chachma enlivens, and they die without chachma. These are this is using scriptural turns of phrase to make a poetic point. It's sort of ironic, like dying in order to live ego death in order to become one with the eternal. And also, the Jewish people, who, like we were speaking about last week, 
who are not living in a way where their will is surrendered to God. They're not observant. So they're not allowing themselves to uh, surrender their selfhood to Hashem. So they're also called detached from life. Until they come to a point where their faith is tested, and then all of a sudden, that chokhmah gets triggered, that selflessness gets triggered, and they'll even surrender their lives and even face painful torture in order to preserve the connection to Hashem, which is counterintuitive. Please understand the mechanics here. You understand we're equating the drama of the moment of Kiddush Hashem, of martyrdom, to an underlying desire that's in the Jewish soul at all times. Not only we're equating them, we're saying that they're synonymous. That capacity to give up everything, well, everything's a relative term, <laughs> everything, everything that we know as embodied souls and as separate consciousnesses, to give that all up in order to be one with the everything, which gets triggered in the moment of martyrdom, that's actually running in the background. It's called the Chochmah Shebenefesh that's present within every single neshama at all times. The only question is how activated it is. So, as we mentioned last week, we know one thing that activates it is a test of faith. And we see, unfortunately, thousands, maybe perhaps millions of cases throughout history of people who were able to to die for Yiddishkeit, not because they were educated, because they weren't educated, but because of something that made it as if it was impossible for them to, to preserve their lives. And what is this something? It's the Chochmah, the Kayachmah. Okay? And the reason why these non-observant Jews, although they're able to give up everything at the last moment, the reason they weren't able to live that way is simply because he says here that the Chochmah was in an exiled state. It was being covered up by their animal soul and their body. And uh, this is parallel to the Golis, the exile of the Shekhinah, of Hashem's presence itself. The Shekhinah, Hashem's presence, is in Golis. And so to a microcosm, in a Jew, the godly presence within you can be in Golis, can be exiled. And what does that mean? It means although there is this innate power bequeathed to you, to give up everything in order to remain attached to Hashem, that power doesn't always express itself in a revealed way which will actually dictate your behavioral choices. So it's a potential. In fact, koyach ma, we keep making a big to-do about the word ma, about the what or the nothing or the X factor. Koyach is also an important part of that. Koyach means potential. It's a potential. And, and it can very well re remain an unrealized potential. The koyach ma is 
the ability, ma means what? Meaning unknown means nothingness. Koyach ma, chochma means the ability to become a nothing. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean I'm going to cash it in. I have the ability to become a nothing. And in fact, not only I have the ability to become a nothing, but he says the most essential drive of my neshama is to become a nothing. Now, we understand becoming a nothing me- means becoming one with the everything. Becoming a nothing is not a shmata. Becoming a nothing means canceling your separate selfhood in order to become one with something absolutely greater. And it is synonymous with the term bittel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rabbi, I'm a little confused because krachma, for what? For what purpose do I want the strength? For what? So, I'm here to learn Torah, to do mitzvahs, and to pray. Why? So that my flame could get bigger and bigger. And the more everybody does that, you're, you're, you're attributing logic to, a, um, to an allegory about illogic. No. And the more everybody does that, the greater the flame gets. When the light is so light, no, no, no. Hashem can come and dwell no, in you, the world. You're mixing metaphors because you're, you're, tr- you're attributing logic to a, a metaphor about illogic. <laughs> I'm, uh, let, let, me, let me restate it like this. Obviously, we are complex. We know we're complex. We started with the premise that we have two souls which are vying for different agendas. But right now, in this immediate context, what we're saying is that there is a, not only a part of you, but the most basic essence of who you are, even though it can be very covered up and unexpressed, is to leave behind this world. The world your body, your animal soul, your ego, your memories, your experience, your life story, to leave that. So you're bringing... Why is the sky blue? This is just the nature. And I told you before, if you're going to get distracted at every twist and turn, and that's, by the way, the mistake that I made for years when I learned these eight chapters, and I could never follow the point. Yeah. You've got to keep driving. You've got to keep driving. Yeah. So, is that Bina? Is that Bina getting in the way? Her Bina's getting in the way, yeah. <laughs> 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 Which is totally understandable. <laughs> but no pun, intend- no pun intended. It's totally understandable that Bina... <laughs> right. 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 Right, exactly. So right now, for today at least, we're going to come from a Chochmah perspective where there's no point. It's not, it's not about an agenda. It's not about, well, what will happen? What do you mean? That's not why the soul wants to become one with Hashem. It's not to accomplish an agenda. It's because that's its nature. Hmm? Which is why it didn't want to leave in the first why place. Why it didn't want to leave its home in the first place. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Where does karat come, come into play? Like if every, it's, it's an essence, it's a part of each and every person. You're asking karat's questions. Okay, so there are levels of the soul which can become 
cut off. But the Arizal explains that the, the, uh, the essence of the soul never gets cut off. Yeah. Okay. But let's, let's continue here. Let's keep plowing. Now we're going to go back to a term from last week. This drive that we're equating to Chochmah is the source for that emotion that we called last week Ava Mesuteris, the hidden love. This Chochmah that we're describing, this capacity for self-surrender, this irrational drive for self-surrender, is synonymous with the term we learned last week, ava mesuteris, hidden love or latent love. Because in the case of somebody who's not living a Jewish life, a Jew who's not living a Jewish life, they still have that ava mesuteris, it's just not revealed. Obviously, they're not living Jewishly, but they still have that love. It's just covered over. That, in fact, that covering of that latent love is called the spirit of folly that our sages refer to when they say nobody sins without a spirit of folly entering them. The Ruach Shtos. What's the Ruach Shtos? The Ruach Shtos is a rationalization that I can do something that's inconsistent with my with my essence, meaning I can choose selfhood over surrender, and I'll be okay. Not only I'll be okay, it'll be good for me. Now the reality is, when we act in a way that is inconsistent with our essence, it causes dis-ease, disease, spiritual disease, which becomes physical disease, and it's an absolute affront to our own nature. And you can't be healthy when you're living inconsistent with your nature. But the rationalization kicks in, or the bina, and looks at the world and looks at things from, a, from an embodied perspective and says, it'll be okay. It'll be okay if I pursue my own agenda, even if it's inconsist inconsistent with what Hashem wants from me. Okay, that's called the Ruach Shtos. So basically the Ruach Shtos is the rationalization that I don't have to surrender myself to Hashem and it'll be okay. I'll be fine. So is Bina Ruach Shtos? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Bina is not Ruach Shtos, Chas V'Shalom, but let's just say like this. When you need to break through the Ruach Shtos, the tool that will break through it is Chochmah. Because you could keep... Being smart can be a curse. Yeah. When you need to break through the, the rationalization, you need the Chochmah. And Chochmah here doesn't mean intellect. It means actually what the simple Jews are very connected to. Like the Baal Shem Tov loved the simple Jews. The people, they can't explain to you why they do it. They, they just do it. The simple Jews. That's the Chochmah. That's the Pshitos, the simplicity. So when we need to break through the Ruach Shtus, we need that Chochmah to come out. And the Chochmah is this 
Call, don't call it irrational, because it sounds like a put-down, but call it suprarational. That's the fancy philosophical term. It transcends rationality. And you can't argue with it. Because it won't engage in intellectual debate because it's not an intellectual faculty. It is, yes, the Chochmah is Hashem's Chochmah, right? which is ultimately why we cannot find the answers. And it's not the lack thereof that's an impediment to our surrender to Hashem. It's not like people call me all day long. Can you speak to my friend, my brother, my brother-in-law, my, my sister, my mother, and convince them to... Uh, I can't convince anybody of anything. No. So why would someone choose to live this From a rational point of view? You can't from a So here's... Okay. That's an interesting conversation for another context. But right now, what we're focusing on is we're aware of a phenomenon where, to state it in the extreme case, which the Alta Rebbe states it, we're aware of a phenomenon whereby completely irreligious Jews become super Jews for a moment. And we're trying to understand what the mechanics of that phenomenon are. To this, at this point, we understand that it's a triggering of avamisiteris, um, we understand that the reason it's not triggered before that point is because the Ruach Shtos is covering it. We're still understanding the phenomenon. Now the goal is how we can replicate that phenomenon for ourselves as a tool in our Avedis Hashem. Remember, don't lose, don't lose the thread here. That's the point. Amona, yeah, because it's, it transcends intellect. It's not intellect, it's faith. Faith is not the opposite of, of, of intellect. Faith is when oh. intellect has already... Faith, intellect, the basement of faith is the ceiling of intellect, where you can no longer understand. Not because you're being lazy and you're saying, eh, I trust you. No, it's fundamentally incomprehensible. You get to a point where it just cannot be understood by a mortal mind, and then you have a muna. Okay. Chicken soup and a hug, and a, and a nigun and l'chaim. You can't, you'll never win a debate. Even a friendly conversation. Like, People don't change their lives because of a friendly conversation. Like everybody here, let me, let me tell you something. If you're here in this class more than once, that means you're in a place in your life where you want to hear this information. Anyone who comes here and they're, they're like, convince me. I promise you, I'm not going to convince you of anything. You're not going to come back. Okay, so there's no convincing. We only convince the convinced. So when someone's unconvinced, how do you break through it? Love. That's it. You can't talk them through it. That's right. That's right. That's why I say a lechayim, a nigun, a chicken soup, a hug. That's it. A piece of kugel. But don't talk. It'll just make the person more entrenched. We'll sing a nigun. Yeah, yeah. The Alter Rebbe sang the nigun, right? Yeah. So is love the bridge from Bina to Chachma? Wow. 
I don't know. Love is the bridge between all things, really. That, by definition, that's a Hayemim, actually. says so love is the bridge between everything. Okay, at any rate. Okay, let's continue. I want to continue. I want to continue. Okay. Um, where do we get up to? Right. The gullus does not affect the chachma. It can't affect the chachma. It goes right up to the chachma. The gullus means how the person's own innate godliness is sort of divorced from their own day-to-day consciousness. That can affect all levels, all the way up to Bina and including Bina, but not the Chachma. It can't touch the Chachma. The Chachma remains transcendent and unaffected by this exiled state. What you can say is that it's in a slumber-like state. And therefore, it's not affecting the person. Because they're actively immersing their bina and das in worldly pleasures. So the fact that the chachma in the background remains true to Hashem is not affecting them on a conscious level. Ah, however, when they will be put in a, God forbid, when they'll be put in a situation where they are given a life or death choice, connect or retain your connection to Yiddishkeit or die, which is completely above rationality. In other words, if you'd stand out in front of the shul and you ask this guy, we need a tenth for a minion, are you interested? He'd say, nah. But then he turns the corner, and all of a sudden, God forbid, you know, the Spanish Inquisition jumps out. All of a sudden, he becomes super Jew. So what happens? This capacity, which triggers, gets triggered, is above das. This intense situation is able to pierce through all the rational levels, and get to the essential level of Chochmah, then the Chochmah is awakened from its slumber, and does its thing. It's triggered to be activated with the power of Hashem, which is invested in it. It's interesting, there's a Pasuk from Tillam, it's saying, Hashem should wake up like a sleeping person. But here we're saying, the Hashem within you will wake up like it was an, a, a, a sleeping person. And all of a sudden, this Jew, who wasn't observant, will have the power to stand up to the test in a way that's completely incomprehensible. But that's the whole point. It's completely incomprehensible. All of a sudden he'll be able to overpower all the negativity and all the lusts of this world, whether permissible or forbidden, that he became habituated to. And all of a sudden he will despise all those. He'll say, no, that's not what I want. It's 
not what I want. And he'll be able to choose Hashem as his lot and as his destiny. And he will, he will choose martyrdom. He'll give up his life for Hashem. So we're explaining the mechanics of that phenomenon. That your whole life, your Avimisateris, which is your Chochma, which is your Kayachma, was in a state of slumber because the Ruach Shtos was covering everything on a conscious level. And then one day, boom, this, this very obvious choice was presented where you could no longer rationalize. You could no longer believe your own propaganda. Because at this point, the choice was very obvious. See, until then, what do you fool yourself? You say, I'm not separating myself from Hashem. I can touch the stove and it won't burn me. Watch. And you fool yourself. But then, all of a sudden, jarringly, it just hits you, this Nisayan, where it's so clear what you're being asked to do. Choose God or don't choose God. And then when it's, when it's phrased that way, when it's formulated that way, the rationalization capacities can't catch up quickly enough. And, and the Chochmah just bursts out and overtakes the person's conscious mind and decision-making, and all of a sudden they become intellectually, emotionally, and behaviorally aligned with surrendering their selfhood to God even though they were not capable of doing that their entire life. Yeah. Is Chochma synonymous with light? Light, yeah. It's called a light, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So are we going to learn how to tap into this? Yeah, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. We're only interested in this phenomenon, in this context. I mean, there are other contexts where it's interesting to learn about. For instance, to, to learn about how to respect every Jew, even if they're not outwardly observant, right? That's another context. It's not our point here. Our only purpose right now of learning this is that we should figure out, and we're not going to figure out, we're going to be taught, how to also tap into that super Jew explosion that we know can be triggered. Now, right now, we only know one thing that triggers it. And the soyot. No, 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 no. Meditation does not trigger this. Meditation creates a whole different type of love. This love, the avamisuteris, gets triggered by an asayan and amuna. becomes triggered by Spanish Inquisition. Well, what if you have an asayan and amuna and it doesn't get triggered? It makes you angry and confused. Then you're not there yet. Then the sword isn't sharp enough. I don't know what to tell you. But... But here's, here's the thing. I'm, there's a little bit of a spoiler. We're not going... I, I, see, trust me, I've been down this road before, so just trust me when I tell you which paths not to wander down. We're not going to figure out how to produce panic and... <laughs> Let's just finish this chapter. At the end of this chapter, as well as the end of next chapter and the chapter after that and the chapter after that, 
you will still not know how to use this. I already told you. There's no... I'm, I was transparent with you last week. There's eight chapters of very deep stuff that's you have to follow all that information. And the last two of the eight chapters, it will explain to you how to apply it. I feel like you should skip to those two. <laughs> I told you before that the last time we learned Tanya, I did these eight chapters in one class. Yeah. And I did a super synopsis. And whoop, I just went through in one hour. We're not going to skip. Okay, but we're not okay. skipping. Well, Okay, but listen, there's so many interesting things to discuss at this point, but I want to stay focused, and I want to try to finish the chapter, because we, we have like five minutes here. Okay? We understand now the phenomenon of how the intense surrender to Hashem can be dormant for a person's entire life and then suddenly be activated in an intense, in a particular type of intense through situation. A hmm? Through a specific kind of challenge where they say, renounce the God of Israel or we will execute you. Okay. Now, let's continue here. Va'af ki aklipis gavru olav kol even though his whole life the klippa dominated him. Again, I, I, I mentioned this last week when I mentioned Daniel Pearl, which to me is the most vivid illustration of this. I'm not saying this to besmirch him, God forbid. He was intermarried. Okay, so clearly Jewish identity in the traditional sense wasn't, whatever, I don't want to, I, I want to be very careful how I'm speaking. The point is, well, he didn't marry a Jew. And yet, in a moment of a particular type of intense test, all that came out was his incredible, superhuman, irrational devotion to his Jewishness. That's what the Alter Rebbe is describing here. So even though their whole life the negativity prevailed over them, like we say, the Rishoyim, and I'm not going to translate it as wicked, because we already know it doesn't really mean wicked. But the Rishoyim are under the domain of their heart. They don't run their heart. Their heart runs them. Meaning to say they do what they want to do. Mokom makim, nevertheless, When they're put in a place, God forbid, where they're being tested regarding the oneness of God, which is the foundation of our faith, that triggers the chachma of the godly soul, in which infinity is invested. And at that moment, all of the negativity becomes dispersed and dispelled and canceled before Hashem. Like it says, all the nations are like nothing before him. All of your enemies, Hashem, will disperse. It says, that the mountains, meaning here metaphors for ego, will melt like wax, will melt like wax. Meaning to say, all of the stuff that was so important in his life, until that moment, suddenly becomes 
irrelevant. And all he cares about is retaining his oneness with Hashem, even though it means losing everything else. V'hineh. This power of the light of God, which is in the Chochmash Benefesh, is powerful enough to dispel and to displace the negativity so that it won't even be able to take hold of his garments. Remember chapter 4, what garments are. Chapter 4, Garments. What are garments? Thought, speech, and action. In other words, maybe they just want me to say something, but I don't believe it. Maybe I just have to pay lip service to their idol. But I'll know in my heart I don't believe it. Or like the story with Hannah and her seven sons. I'll put the ring down, you'll pick up the ring you won't really be bowing to the idol. It'll just look like you're bowing to the idol. When the Chochmah gets activated, how thoroughly does it overtake the person? What we're saying is it overtakes not only the intellect, not only the emotions, but even the garments, which are the behaviors, so that at that moment it becomes an impossibility to touch this idolatry even on a perfunctory external level. Is that like inspiration? Call it inspiration. It's, it's, it's an intense, intense, intense inspiration. So, what? Nobody changes their lives from it. That's the whole point of it. Nobody changes their life from it. It's a momentary, intense feeling that leaves as quickly as it comes on. Which is, by the way, not the point here, but why this is a limited tool. Of course. So the fact that we were told in 16 and 17 to meditate, we're not going to be able to stop doing that because the only way to create real staying power is through meditation. But if you need a quick fix, this is a quick fix. This is the this is the adrenaline shot. Hmm? You're saying if that person somehow survives and it does not die or from at that moment, yeah. it will not last. This will yeah, not very probable. Yeah, he doesn't say the epilogue, but yeah, there could be the guy who's Moser Nefesh, and then for some reason, I don't know, the, the noose snaps and he's able to run away from the, or like Moser Rabbeinu, his neck turned to mar- marble, right? Okay, for Moser, it wasn't like uh, it was a special moment that all of a sudden he became uh, devoted to Hashem. He was always devoted to Hashem. But let's say there was a guy, he wasn't religious before his moment of Mesut Nefesh, and not necessarily remained religious after. At that moment, at that moment he had clarity. But if we're learning how to tap into it... I already said that that we're we're using it as a tool, but we have to understand the limitations of the tool. But you can't tap and tap and tap and tap until it's expended. (laughs) Well... I, I don't want to give away everything, but basically what you're saying is correct, that the nature of this tool is you got to keep reloading it because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't last that <laughs> Okay. At any rate, it's, it's, it's another tool. The Altareb is giving us many tools for our spiritual toolkit. This is one tool. Let's finish the chapter. All right. So this power is so powerful 
that it overtakes him even down to the behavioral level. Which means not just intellect and not just emotion, but even behavior. He will be able to give up his life even to resist just doing an action that negates the oneness of God. Even if it was only an action and he didn't really believe it and he knew he was only doing it to save his life, he would have the power to resist that and not give in. For instance, bowing to the idol even though he, in his heart he doesn't believe in it at all. But something will happen and the Chochmah Shebenefesh will overtake his entire being and he will not be able to bring himself to commit that act, even though he knows it's only to save his life and he doesn't really mean it. But that's rationalization. And at this moment, all the rationalizations go out the window. That's the beauty of this moment. At this moment, you lose the capacity to rationalize. And I've told you before, what does it mean to rationalize? Rational lies. The lies that you tell your bina and your das that sound so convincing, the chachma comes in and blows it all out of the water. Also, it will, when this happens, you won't be able to say anything that you don't really believe against Hashem. Even though you don't mean it. In your heart, you know that you believe in one Hashem, but maybe I could just say it to save my life. No, won't let me. Ah, very important. we got like a few lines here left, but this is a very important point. This, this emotion that we're describing is called the fear that is contained within the love. Remember we asked in the previous chapter, we asked this. We wanted to understand the Avamisateris better and also how to understand how fear is included in that love. Because to serve Hashem, you need gas and brakes. You need the gas to make you go toward Hashem, but you need the brakes to stop yourself from going toward stuff you shouldn't go to. So you need the, the start and the stop. You need the, the love and the awe. In other words, a person could say, I'll do everything for Hashem, but I won't be able to stop myself from doing the things he doesn't want. So I'll serve Hashem and I'll serve idols. That's called love without awe. You need the awe to stop you from serving the idols or from doing anything Hashem doesn't want. So he says, the awe is included in the love. That when you love someone so much, your greatest fear is losing that connection. So it's primarily love, but it's a love which contains within it awe. The fear of losing the connection. So he says, this is dechilo nichlo berechimo. That's just Aramaic. For awe that's included in love. The natural love that we're talking about that's hidden in every Jewish heart to cleave to Hashem. Because of this love, He's terrified to touch even the fringe of idol worship, because he understands to touch even the fringe. The fringe means even a behavior without an emotion. 
that's the fringe he means here. He's terrified to touch even the fringe of Aveda Soda, meaning to even engage in a perfunctory action that he doesn't believe in. He will not touch it. He's terrified of it. Why? Because he loves Hashem so much, he wouldn't want to do anything that would, God forbid, separate him from Hashem. Which we know, idol worship is against the belief in one God. You can't say, I believe in one Hashem and Aveda Zara. Just doesn't go together. Not even to touch the outer garments, which are speech and action. Without any belief in it, he will not do it. He will not allow himself to do it. It's as if there's something driving him that's preventing him from doing it. And what is that something? We've identified it as the Chochmah Shebenefesh, or the Kayachmah, which unleashes the Yerusha, the bequest from our, from our patriarchs, which is the Avamisateris, the hidden love. And even if your whole life it was in dormancy, when there's this clear black and white choice between choose God or choose self-perpetuation, when that choice becomes clear, the rationalization is all blown out of the water and all of a sudden the Jew has this superhuman capacity to choose God. Now, again, I just want to reiterate, I'll take a couple questions, we'll wrap up. We do not have any clue how to activate this or to use this on a practical level. So if you're going to ask me how this is practical, you need to come to a few more weeks. Yeah. It's as if, okay, it's a wonderful question. It's as if at that moment, Bechira becomes almost irrelevant because the drive to do what Hashem wants and to retain the connection to Hashem at all costs becomes so dominant, it's not even a choice, it's an instinct. But you didn't and you didn't even activate it. It just is you. It's your essence. It almost feels like the because... Because it's easy come, easy go. It's so... It's so It is a reflex. It's a divine reflex. It's a divine reflex. Yeah. I'm just thinking that it's such a paradox. Yeah. Because at the moment that I realize my identity is when I surrender my identity. <laughs> That's the irony. At the moment I realize my true identity is the moment I surrender my identity. That is, and by the way, all truth is paradox. So if you don't come to the paradox, you haven't gotten to the essence of the lesson. That, that's 100% correct. And does everyone understand how this connects to today's Hayyemim for Chof Aleph Sivan? Remember what it said in the Hayyemim for Chof Aleph Sivan? It says that there are the uh, soul faculties which come from the spheroids but then there's a capacity that a Jew has which is even higher than the spheroids. It's connected to the essence of Hashem, and that is the capacity that will not allow the Jew to give up his connection to Hashem. So that, that's today's Hayyim Yayim, and that's what we learned today. And we didn't plan that. Hashem planned that.